Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a great week. We have some good stuff for you today on fundraising and philanthropy for Catholic organizations. I've assembled a fantastic panel of experts, and they're going to share their experiences with you and their expertise. But first, one of the most significant challenges in fundraising is participation, and we deal with that in every sector of the nonprofit space, not just the church. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about donor retention and stewarding donors as part of our larger conversation. But the statistic that is really hard to ignore, and it impacts all of us and everything that we do, is the decreasing mass attendance and the lack of young adult presence that we see in many churches around the country. In a report that was published last November by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, only 8% of young U.S. Catholics ages 18 to 35 said that their faith was weakened by the COVID-19 pandemic, which is fantastic news. Unfortunately, nearly one-third expect to attend Mass less often after the pandemic, which is now essentially over. Of even greater concern to the church, I believe, is that 73% agreed that either somewhat or strongly that they could be a good Catholic without going to Mass every Sunday. Now, a couple of years ago, the Pew Research Center conducted a study that reported only one-third of U.S. Catholics believe in what we call the transubstantiation, which is when the bread and wine at Mass are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. I bring this to you today because I believe these two issues are interconnected. Understanding the importance of the Eucharist in our lives only makes sense and only matters if we actually believe in the Eucharist. The Gospels last week speak a lot about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. If you miss them, I encourage you to go back and take a look. Jesus tells us that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Every one of us invariably finds holes in our hearts. Sometimes small, and sometimes not so small. Depression and anxiety are at all-time highs in this country, and yet people are pulling away from the one true source of comfort, the real peace, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Only Christ can fill the gaps in our life. The Eucharist is a miracle that happens every day at Masses all around the world. It's not a symbol. It's the real deal. So how do we play a role in evangelization as people who serve the church? This is a topic that I'd like to tackle on our podcast this summer, and perhaps we can find some of these answers together. We can't advance our church if we don't have people in the pews. So if you're interested, send me a message, tell me your story, and let's get in touch. We, the laity, have to take a role in bringing our young people, and really all people, back to Mass. By receiving the Eucharist and really meditating on its meaning for our life, we receive God's mercy and His nourishing grace. There's no substitution for that. Don't we want that for our kids? Now, let's get to work. Today, I'm pleased to welcome representatives from the Archdiocese of Denver, the Diocese of Cleveland, and the Archdiocese of Hartford, as well as our very own Mary Dorley Simboski from Changing Our World. We had a fantastic conversation live on our webinar last week about a variety of philanthropic strategies for 2022. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation. 
Okay, welcome everyone. We're so glad to have you with us today. Welcome to Changing Our Worlds, Advancing Our Church podcast. We have a wonderful webinar today and we have a great topic and some very wonderful panelists that I have gathered from around the country. So we're going to get a great variety of perspectives and experience and I'm sure that's why you tuned in. It's an impressive panel. We're going to go through a little bit of housekeeping and then we're going to go ahead and start our questions and discussion. Just so you know, you can participate in, and we're going to give you the opportunity to participate in this discussion a couple of different ways. One, if you have a question for the panel or a comment that you'd like to offer, there is the Q&A button on the bottom toolbar. So anytime during the conversation, if you have a question or a comment, please feel free to drop that in and we'll get to as many questions as we can during the next hour. Also, we have three or four different survey questions. We're going to poll the audience kind of draw you guys in a little bit and get your experience, ask what you're seeing in the field, and and hopefully speak to some of the things that you're most interested in. So we want this to be as participatory as possible. Our panelists are ready to answer your questions and we'll all uh, do the best to the best of our ability. Hopefully we all come out of this. I always come out of these learning more than I put into it. I always come out with some new ideas and some new inspiration, some new excitement about what we do, which is so important in stewardship and development. And so What I'm going to do real quick is we'll just start very briefly with a prayer because this is a a Catholic podcast and we are going to ask the Lord to guide our conversation and be with us over the next hour. So in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this hour together. We ask that you guide our discussion. We ask you to bless the ministry of all those who are on our panel and and bless the ministries and the missions of all those who have come together today to view this webinar. Again, please guide our discussions and and bring some great fruit to those who participate in the important mission of stewardship and development in their parish, their diocese, or their their Catholic mission. And together we'll pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son. Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, again, welcome everybody. Today is May the 4th. May the 4th be with all of you. And with your, and what are you guys saying? With your spirit, right? That's what we say. So I'm going to go ahead and and go around the table here, as it were, the virtual table and introduce everyone. So we'll start with Mr. Bill McLean Jr. Bill is the Chief Development Officer for the Archdiocese of Hartford. He is also the Interim Executive Director of the Hartford Bishops Foundation. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I think this is my second webinar with Changing Our World. It is. We're so thrilled to have you back, Bill. Thanks for, for lending your expertise. I'd also like to uh, welcome uh, welcome back Fred Roberts, a, a former Changing Our World staff member and the Director of Development for Catholic Education for the Catholic Community Foundation of Cleveland, Ohio. <clears throat> welcome back, Fred. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Hello, everybody. Together in the lovely Archdiocese of Denver, we want to welcome Mr. David Mayer, who is the Special Ministry Campaign Director and Senior Executive Philanthropic Coach for the Archdiocese of Denver. Welcome, David. Thank you very much, Jim and team. And Kelly Hirsch. Kelly is a major gift officer for the Archdiocese of Denver. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. And last but certainly not least, Mary Dorley Simboski from our own Changing Our World team. Mary is a managing director for Changing Our World and has appeared on our podcast many times. Welcome back, Mary. Hey, Jim. Thank you. 
Okay. So what we thought we would do first is maybe just take the temperature of those who are participating here in our webinar. So as I said, we're going to pop up, we're going to pull the audience real quick, and we're going to ask you just to tell us what it is that you are most interested in hearing about today. So as we have our discussion, we want to make sure that we hear a little bit about, we'll make sure we focus in on those particular things. So as you can see, we have major and planned giving, capital and, and, and endowment campaigns, annual fund or offertory programs, and also the educational improvement tax credit program, which are state-directed funds that are directed towards uh, scholarships, typically for Catholic school students. If you'd like to hear a bit about that, uh, we have some folks here on the panel that could discuss that. So we'll just give you a minute to answer that. While you're filling out that survey, I'll just offer a couple of comments here. The Fundraising Effectiveness Project and Mary uh, you have spent some time on this through your uh, work with the AFP. It, it stated that giving inched up 2.7% during the last three months of 2021, and that's compared to the same time period of 2020. And according to a new release of, uh, according to that new release of data, at the same time, the number of people who gave at the end of last year fell by 5.7% from the previous year. So the share of new donors went downhill too. So that decreased by 15.1%. And so the question for our panelists is today, how does this compare with what you're seeing out in the field? And what would you offer around the topic of, of donor retention and donor stewardship? Who would like to go first? Kelly, I'm going to put you on the spot since you're brand new to the podcast and uh, we'll, we'll let you have first dibs at this question. Sure. Well, unfortunately, the trends here at the Archdiocese of Denver through um, our main campaign, um, the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal, that trend uh, is holding true for us here. We were really blessed to have a wonderful year for our Archbishop's Catholic Appeal in 2021, over 11.8 raised. However, our number of donors did drop um, 11%. And our campaigns and appeals team has done a great job analyzing, you know, all of the data and the trends. And, um, you know, we're finding that we're in alignment with the fundraising effectiveness project. We're also really analyzing where we've been as an archdiocese. And overall, uh, we find that we're in this unique time, um, an opportunity to, you know, really steward the donors we have. But when our team has looked back at the data over 25 years, uh, we had 40,000 donors mm. and our revenue for the appeal was about 5 million. So we've more than doubled the revenue in that 25 years. But unfortunately, our donor base has almost depleted by half. So it's almost a cross section of gain in revenue and loss in donors. And as many folks through their diocese throughout the country are noticing, you know, there are fewer of us Catholics in the pews week to week. And I don't think that's a trend that's just right. noticed here in Denver. Um, you know, there's a decline about 25% we've been noticing in pews. So um, as we look at those trends where we are now, we're, you know, at an unsustainable rate of maintaining donor base without some strategies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have a wonderful team here that's really analyzing that and looking at that. And, you know, as all of you know, donor acquisition is so important to get new donors in the door. However, we all know that that's really difficult to do. So retention is always important. And in the church, that's, you know, keeping people engaged in, in the ministries and in the life of the church. And, and we're finding um, our largest 
group of donors that we're losing are at, at the 1,000 plus, kind of like our mid-level donors. And um, right now in our team, those that are working with major gift officers and have a connection to the archdiocese that really increases giving and their affinity and, you know, just their overall feeling of being connected to the archdiocese. So one of our team members finished a capstone project and we have a new gift officer onboarding uh, this summer. And we're really going to be focusing on that subset of a thousand plus donors that have lapsed in this last campaign year and really work on outreach and being a voice for them at the archdiocese in hopes of further retention and cultivation down the road. Excellent. All good stuff. Anyone else? How does that data affect you guys? Any others? Jim, I'll jump in. Here in the the Diocese of Cleveland, our, our foundation, the Catholic Community Foundation, is responsible for the annual Catholic Charities Appeal. And uh, I will say that donor retention is an ongoing battle. I think it is for all of us. We did see a drop in the number of donors from 2020 to 2021, about 14%. Good news being that the pledge total didn't suffer. Uh, We did get a slight increase from 2020 to 2021. We've had uh, some really good success in terms of, you know, raising pledge dollars, raising cash for the Catholic Charities Appeal. Over a nine-year period, it's grown by 36%. So. You know, we've seen that growth and the average gift has climbed with the pledge total. The bottom line is that few donors are giving more and we need to have strategies in place that, to address that. I think there's three things to, to maybe really consider. Uh, one is, you know, to keep up with how current supporters are changing, try to develop those giving relationships with them as well as new audiences. I think we, secondly, we got to be creative in our approaches and um, how we bring in new donors. Uh, one example that comes to mind, I know for our appeal this year, it's the first year that I know of that we here in Cleveland where donors have had the opportunity during the NPU appeal to make a gift via text. So, you know, I think that many of us uh, longtime Catholics can think of a time not so long ago where having a, a phone in church and using it would have been really frowned upon. But, uh, you know, that was something that I think is was very helpful. And I think we need to be always open to trying new things. And then thirdly, I think we need to identify what the right channels are for uh, delivering the message, creating those connections with those that support and advocate for our causes. I think those are three things that, that we're really trying to focus on here as we, we look to, to do that, that battle with uh, to, to retain our donors. And that well, just you've covered some great topics there, Fred. I mean, there's so much around education, isn't there, just on what the opportunities are out there for for pastors or for others who are trying to increase their offertory, their annual fund. Like, I know that sometimes I'll pull out my phone if I'm early for church and I'll, you know, I'll say a prayer because I have some prayers on my phone. But even that, I feel, does somebody think I'm texting or they realize that I'm actually saying my prayers, you know, before mass? But I mean, it's certainly a tool that probably 90 plus percent of everybody in the parish would have. So there's opportunity there. It's a great point. Yeah. Just so just to circle back to our, our poll, we did very well. Thank you all who, who participated in that. It looks like 100% of a vast majority of you would like to hear a little bit more about major gifts and planned gifts. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We will we can touch on capital and endowment campaigns. And there's some folks who are interested in, in increased offertory. So but it uh, looks like the focus of a lot of, uh, of our folks on the call would love to hear a lot about planned gifts and major gifts. And then number two would be campaigns. We're going to throw up if we could, uh, Colleen, because question number two is aligned with what we're discussing now. 
So the question is, since 2019, the number of donors that our organization has, and you can just let us know real quick, has it increased, decreased, or has it remained the same? So this is the number of donors at your organization. Oh, a couple of folks already have said that the donor number of donors have increased. So they probably have a great story to tell. Wonderful. Okay, so we'll let you fill that out. Any, any other comments about the statistics from the AFP survey? Mary, I know you've done a lot of work on that fundraising effectiveness project. Thanks, Jim. I think, you know, we're, we're all struggling with it in our parishes, dioceses, and Catholic organizations. But I think what we need to remember is this is a trend in the secular world as well. So we need to probably be more focused on retaining donors the way our secular counterparts would. That's why it was very exciting to hear what our friends at the Archdiocese of Denver are doing, uh, because I think we need to be out there talking to people very directly the way you might see in a hospital or university or something like that, because they were doing it. Just to add add to that, I think this is really not a new trend. This is, in my view, and I haven't done any in-depth research on it, it probably started the donor attrition across the board, not just with faith-based organizations, really started in 2008 or accelerated during the Great Recession. And I know in, you know, here in Hartford, we've seen a year-over-year decrease in donors by about 12%. But in Bridgeport, where I was prior to coming here, we we were losing 500 to 1,000 donors a year for five consecutive years, the five years that I was there, at a time when we had a very dynamic bishop. And it was the bottom third of the pyramid. Typically, that's where the losses were. Mm-hmm. We made up for those losses by focusing on the, the top third of the pyramid and just asking a smaller number uh, of donors to, to give more. And so in Bridgeport, we didn't we didn't lose dollars. We lost donors, but we were able to maintain our our giving levels by really looking at our top donors every year and asking them to do a little bit more. Absolutely, Bill. And I think you could even take it back farther than 2008. I mean, first of all, we should state donor retention is a challenge. It's not just indicative to those who work in faith-based organizations. Donor retention, those of you who are connected with the AFP is a topic that comes up quite often. With most charities that are trying to retain that. But I think also we, we saw a significant dip. We're coming up here now at the 20-year mark of the original Boston scandal, 2002 with the clergy. And I think we saw a lot of that, of donor attrition around that time period. And so really, I think we, it's, it's been an ongoing challenge. It looks like from our, our poll, looks like four, or at least 50% of our audience here uh, have seen an increase in their donors. 38% uh, saw a decrease in donors and 13% remain the same. So that's exciting. Boy, we'll we'll have to get some of these folks who have had an increase in donors to come and tell their story. But thank you. And moving forward, as we as we look at kind of some of the trends, we're semi in the pandemic, but we're kind of coming down out of the pandemic a little bit here. And some of the trends were that we saw a lot of one-time donors that kind of came in to help during that time period. And some of them were major donors, but a lot of them were smaller donors who just really wanted to help. Are you? How are you cultivating and stewarding donors as opposed to large donors versus smaller donors? And as we talk about this topic of, of donor retention strategies, I'm sure our audience would love to hear just how, how are you retaining donors and what are some of the tactics that you're using to, to retain them, to forge those new relationships and so on. David, would you like to jump in? Well, we've been really, if you will, taken to the streets. I mean, like the Doobie Brothers saying in 1978 or 77, is that uh, we can't just do our jobs by being 
desk jockeys. Right. We crunch the numbers, we take a look at it, but then we really have to take it to the streets. And definition of taking it to the streets is going, particularly when you're working in an archdiocese or a diocese, is going directly to the pastor, going directly to the principal, going directly to the president, going directly to the business manager. Business managers carry a lot of weight. And we can spend a lot of time talking about planning. Well, how are we going to talk to Pastor A, B, C? At the same time, we need a strategy of working with business managers at the same time, because they are the ones typically who are implementing. And that's an important, critical piece there. We worked on a, um, an increased offertory program here beginning in 2020. And we worked with 38 uh, parishes all around uh, northern Colorado. And the key was involvement of the pastor for the parishes and the business manager being a home run. And where we faltered or where we didn't really meet our intended goal was where the business manager and pastor weren't working in concert. Um, and, and that was absolutely critical. And also the same goes for our Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. There are so many duties that are they're called upon. And if we can guide them through that, And so this effort, what happened was, is we had three waves and we worked for three months at a time and we had weekly meetings. It was quite extraordinary and saw some really great growth Mm -hmm. um, in that area. So that was encouraging. And really, we just kind of, if you want to take a nugget away from any meetings that we have, you know, such as this, is when in doubt, take it to the streets, take it to the parish, take it to the school. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Kelly, you do a lot of work around major gifts, obviously, and, and you're focused with the archdiocese. Tell us a little bit about you know, what you're seeing and how you're retaining donors during this time period. You know, one thing that's really helpful, especially when we think of donors who give to our big appeals, uh, in addition to major gifts for certain ministries, one thing that's really, really important, as you all know, it seems basic, but it's reporting back what their investment is doing for our church. And it's, you know, sharing the impact that they're making with the appeal. And um, our, our team is wonderful in putting together impact reports that we, you know, mail out, put on a website, email out. You know, what we're also finding is, you know, through major gift officers and our role meeting with major donors, it's it's finding time to spend with them, you know, thanking them. You were part of what what happened, what what you made possible. And and at least for us here at the Archdiocese this past year, um, because of the generosity of these donors, we were able to respond literally overnight when a wildfire broke out right at New Year's Eve and use that and, you know, report back how we're able to invest in our, in our school teachers by giving them bonuses and um, just sharing the breadth of what is possible. And people really need to feel that sense of connection, mm-hmm. that it's not just going to the church or that, that campus, you know, in, in South Denver, they really want to know how they're helping people and bringing others to Christ. And so it's our joy in, in being able to to work with those donors one-on-one and finding the ways in which they want to hear that message. We all know it's it's difficult. People leave such busy lives. And even if it's simply to leave a voicemail saying, you know, we just sent you the impact report. If you have any questions, let me know. But thank you for making this possible. It's really that personal personal connection that is that is um, proving for us to to be um, the key in retention. And hopefully that will also, as we as we retain those donors, grow in their relationships with the church and being able to have them invest further in, in larger major gifts. 
One thing I wanted to just touch on really briefly that Bill had talked about and also, you know, retaining and um, seeing kind of that trend of asking our larger donors for more gifts to kind of offset that drop. You know, we're, we're grateful when that happens, but it is an unsustainable reality um, that, you know, we can't just keep asking the top over and over to keep increasing when we're losing more at the lower levels. And I think one thing we all need to be deft and ready to um, add to our conversations is if we haven't already is the gifts of the conversations of plan giving. And um, maybe it's, you know, they're not in a position now to be making that um, transformational gift um, because of family concerns, health concerns that they need to take care of for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but leaving a legacy gift is an incredible way to make that impact. And there, you know, as we all know, there are ways that that can benefit an organization now and in a planned gift. So I think uh, we all need to be thinking of those conversations. And that's a fabulous way to retain donors because um, then they're with us for the rest of their lifetime. And here in the Archdiocese of Denver, we have great partners with the, with, um, the Catholic Foundation of Northern Colorado that, that really does go out and do that. And we work in tandem with them to help propel those conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great points, Kelly. And our, our audience today, you know, plan giving and major gifts, they said were the, the top priority for them and things that they wanted to hear us talk about. So here's, here's another kind of a, a little bit of a spontaneous question. And I know you, you, I'm sure you've done this shift. You brought up plan giving in your, in your conversations with a major donor and just kind of through that ongoing built relationship building. At what point do you, and I won't just ask this of Kelly, but anybody else who wants to jump in, what point do you turn the conversation towards plan giving? You know, and, or are you having that conversation a little bit with them all along? But there's mentioning plan giving, but then there's really putting together a little bit of a package, maybe a presentation and really having a more in-depth conversation. Anyone want to share their experience of doing that? Jim, could I hop in? Please. I, in a diocese that, that I worked in, plan giving in the church, we have a unique opportunity because people tend to gravitate to the church at the moments of transition, you know, when they're born, when they're married, when they die. When my, my mother used to say, when you're hatched, matched, and dispatched, you know, so we have those moments. What we did at a diocese that I worked in was we worked, as you said, with the pastors. And we help them with a program that would be parish-based, but it would really be focused on what the church teaches and it would offer support. So at the diocesan level, we provided the materials, but we would work with the pastor to find the local funeral director, parishioner who's an attorney, you know, some different things like that, and just have some gatherings. And the pastors would talk about last things, you know what you should know about end-of-life care, those kinds of things. Give people resources, you know, those little booklets that we've all seen about planning your funeral. And then invited people to remember their parish or the diocese in their estate plans, because 90% of planned gifts are bequests. So not to worry too much about, you know, charitable remainder trusts or lead trusts or all that. And it was high, very, very successful. And it was really a ministry. People could gather, have a refreshment, and then think about, you know, what is my favorite gospel reading? And, and it was actually a ministry that was given to people and on a continuing basis. And it really does give people a lot of comfort. But well, we would be remiss not to include plan giving in our total discussion with them about giving. And for the conversations to be one-sided, we have an obligation to do that. And also, all the other nonprofits are doing it already. Higher ed, prep schools, you know, you name it, library. 
social service organizations. So we have to do it, definitely. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. So we, that's our obligation. And uh, they can say yes or no. And, and that's just the way it is. So it's really kind of what was neat here in the Archdiocese of Denver. I've worked at a few few dioceses around our, our great country. And what was neat here is there was an incentive that was provided or that is provided to each of the parishes that provide a, a planned gift or get a planned gift or a gift is credited to that parish. And so each parish with every planned gift, they get $1,000 unrestricted from the Catholic Foundation. Yeah. Um, so that's an incentive, which is terrific. And a, a bonus, if you will, and then it goes directly to where the where the greatest need at that parish. And so that was really neat to see that when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, look at this! This is super!" Um, and so Deacon Steve, who runs the Catholic Foundation, has done so for quite a while. Very well known deacon, well loved. He presents at parishes. There's a bonus involved. He's taken it to the streets, and it's working quite well. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's pretty exciting. What I've seen. I would add to that, I think you need to, you know, invest time and staff resources in in legacy giving, just as you would major giving or any other revenue producing position. And that would include certainly having a formal program, as colleges do and prep schools do. We had one in the Diocese of Bridgeport. We started a legacy society. We had periodic gatherings for new members, mass with the bishop, dinner a ceremony, a presentation. Uh, So we formalized it and we recognized publicly those people who agreed to it, their, you know, their legacy commitments to the, to the diocese. Mm -hmm. I think also a nice thing to offer would be, you know, estate planning seminars, for instance, Um, whether it's in the diocese or in the parishes, offering people the opportunity to hear from professionals about the importance of having a will, updating your, your estate plans periodically, no matter what your age is. Plan giving legacy gifts fit really well with our older Catholic demographic. You can plan giving gifts come, they come here to, to Bridgeport or to uh, Hartford, typically to the AAA, but they have been somewhat, you know, they've been passive, you know, they've been surprises for instance. And that's not necessarily a good thing. It's a nice surprise, but it's great to know that you're getting these legacy gifts well in advance so you can honor and recognize the people who are making these commitments. So you've got to invest in the resources. You've got to formalize your your program and give something back to people. Offer a a service of some kind, um, a wills and bequests seminar that then would have at the end of it the opportunity to Think about supporting the parish or or the diocese. You make a great point there, Bill. Whenever whenever you see some of the organizations I worked at the past, when you would see kind of that random bequest to state come in, and you had no idea it was coming, and maybe you didn't even have a relationship with the donor. Exactly. And it makes you think, boy, for every one of these, there's probably ten other people who would consider doing it if we had just asked them, if we had just formed a relationship with them and put this opportunity in front. Because not everybody thinks of that, you know. And the lawyer, whoever's going to go through their estate plans with them, they don't necessarily always bring that up to them as an opportunity. So I think we should remember too: most bequests, the the driving factor is frequency of gift, not level of gift when they're alive. So it's almost behooves us all to you know, use some of the tools that the Fundraising Effectiveness Project offers to look at who those frequent donors are. Mm-hmm. And and 
directly appeal to them. And I think these days, you know, uh, in the church, it's it's good to have technicians in planned giving. But most people, many people, they've already made their retirement plans through, you know, their their employers or things like that. So it, again, I don't think we have to be too focused on the technical aspects of it, but it's really identifying those tried and true donors and appealing to them, which is harder because they tend to be the lower level donors that might not be on our radar. Mm-hmm. I think you make a great point, Mary, because some people get, I've heard some people get scared off from planned giving. I don't know what a charitable lead trust is, and I don't know how to set up a charitable gift annuity. And I don't think you have to make it super complicated. I think you can put it out there in a thoughtful way and just kind of build that program over time and and identify individuals who are, who is a, maybe there's an estate planning lawyer in your database, who's a donor who would want to be on a plan giving committee. And certainly there's a number of other services that, you know, when you're ready, you can spend some, some of your advancement budget on, but I don't think you, I don't think you have to keep, have it be super complicated. Kelly, is there anything you want to add to this? I did did want to add. I wanted to add to what both Bill and Mary were saying. And, you know, Mary touched on it really, really beautifully when they're, you know, hatched, matched and dispatched. We are so lucky to be working for the church and and raising money for our, you know, our faith. Whereas, you know, I've, I've worked in some secular organizations before and we are called into people's lives at those special moments. We have, you know, just a wonderful connection point through our faith. And so by, by that virtue of itself, we're already kind of at, at some really personal times in, in our donors' lives. And so even if we don't know the technicalities, um, we can bring it up in conversation, you know, as, as you know, you're sitting across from a donor who may be turning you down for a major gift opportunity. We can be thinking about just, just casually asking, well, is this something that you would consider leaving in your estate plans and bringing, you know, bringing it up at those casual points, even if, you know, um, it's a, a recent, you know, illness diagnosis or, you know, a child, grandchild helping support through college. There are all these opportunities that we've been invited into their homes and their lives that through our faith, we can then steer them towards that gift without having to worry about, is it a crat or a crut or what what tax bracket will, will it affect you? Those are very important and getting the team in place to help when the donor is ready for that is, is invaluable, absolutely. But really it's, it's still the takeaway is having those conversations with the donors and finding that key audience of those who just give to the church year after year in our study and, and want to do so later on. Currently, I'm in the middle of completing a feasibility study, and right now we're at 49 um, interviews, face-to-face interviews built within the questionnaire is on top of your indicated uh, support of the campaign. Would you also, on top of that, consider a planned gift in the effort? And what uh, we're finding is right now 46% of those 50 said either the church is already in their will and the, the other portion would consider it. So again, that's going back to the taking it to the streets. And when people say, oh, it's already in our will. And this happens all the time in the meetings. And I said, well, does anyone know? And then the answer is no. And I said, well, it's time not to keep it a secret. You know, it's time to share and it's time to measure it and then make sure we don't measure it in five years so that we measure it now and it's not double counted. So it's been really quite a great opportunity for us to just simply ask the folks. And that's what's happening right now. And, and to 46% is pretty darn good. Absolutely. Yeah. Out of, fifth, out of 49 interviews. So that's, that's encouraging. Very positive. Very positive. 
the one of the other topics that our our audience was really interested in was the annual fund. So I'm going to flip it to the committee, the the panel here to see if there's anyone that has any tips on what they're doing or what they're seeing around annual funds. And it could be for schools or it could be for a diocese or what have you. One tip that I'll give if if you haven't, if you're not doing this already, and I'm actually, I'm always surprised how many organizations do not do this, is really moving your, uh, really getting very specific around your letters. And I know some, some folks do this incredibly well. They have 17 to 20 different letter types that go out because you have segmented your database in such a fantastic way. And obviously a good annual fund always starts with an excellent database, but just really think about asking your your donors, your annual fund donors for a specific amount. We were engaged by St. Joseph's College up in Maine to help them double their annual fund in a single year. And we were successful in that through a number of different activities. But I think one of the big things was we asked for the order. And that's such a basic concept, I think, in fundraising, but we sometimes forget to put in the ask amount or we might shy away from an ask amount. So I'll just kind of open up this discussion with that kind of idea that good data, as well as really being specific around the asks. But anyone else want to jump in on any annual fund strategies or tactics that you've seen that have been particularly effective? Well, I already touched on our Archbishop's Catholic Appeal, which is our largest appeal, but uh, we also do an annual seminaries appeal Mm -hmm. each um, November. And um, again, our appeals team does a fabulous job doing the segmentation, you know, and everything. But I think one thing we were just really pleased, we we increased the appeal $600,000 over last year, and the number of donors increased not, not even shy of 2000. So um, Mm. that's on the upward trend. And, and, you know, one thing I think we're doing well is we're getting the seminarians out in front of the, of the people and they're in parishes, they're in pews and they're sharing their story and they're not shy about asking for their support prayers, of course, but they need support to get them through formation um, through seven years. And, you know, we, we give them speaking points ahead of time, bolster their confidence and they come back and they just really feel the warmth of people wanting to support them. So that's one thing, you know, that, that when you can have someone join you in those efforts for the appeals, whether it's a priest preempting, you know, an appeal coming up or going, you know, with you in a, a meeting with the donor, but also on the, on the reverse of that is making sure that after the appeal that you're thanking appropriately, swiftly and appropriately. And, um, you know, one thing our seminarians also do is a thankathon. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a couple months post the appeal winds down and, you know, we take the list and, you know, call about 1300. So live calls we get and, even if it's a voicemail, the hi, this is so-and-so seminarian from the Archdiocese of Denver. Wow, that sure beats the political call message you get or, you know, whatever, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> car warranty is up and it really goes a long way. And then when we have conversations with those donors, they may not remember the specific seminarian's name, but they remember that they called and that they were a part of that. So really finding that connection back with our supporters after appeals is really important to, to do. Yeah, there are two seminaries on the campus of the Archdiocese of Denver, and that's uh, great because they're they're walking around, they're involved, people get to run into them, meet them, they're playing soccer on the pitch, which is great. And we've got, one is a Redemptus Mater seminary, and the other is an Archdiocesan seminary. So it's really part of the fabric of the building. So we're, we're, we're lucky because they're accessible too. Uh, been in other dioceses where you got to go across town or you got to go, you know, I remember working archdiocese in New York. You had to go up to Yonkers. Yonkers is great, but it's not always easy to get to, you know, 
So this, it's, it's kind of a, uh, we're very fortunate to have access to the seminarians uh, for sure. Absolutely. We're going to talk about working with clergy in just a moment, but Fred, did you have anything on this? Yeah, Tim, um, we conduct uh, four annual appeals here at the foundation to support the various ministries of the diocese. And uh, we've been fortunate that each one of those has seen an increase uh, from 2020 to 2021. So I think it's, you know, it's really important to, uh, you know, to focus on those. Uh, One of the interesting things that we saw last year at the end of the year was that our online giving was up about 115% the last week of December. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about the different ways to deliver the message, and we, uh, and I think that also ties in with reaching out to some of the the low and mid-range donors. Those are the ways to connect with them. So I think that's something to to really focus on, as well as testimonials. I think that, that those really go a long way uh, for people to connect. I think your point about uh, having a personal letter, you know, that, that gives the donor a warm and fuzzy feeling is important. We have a, a plan giving newsletter that goes out every quarter. And we have a, a priest who's featured on that this, this month. And, uh, you know, he's made a, a, a legacy gift and uh, so those kinds of things, I think, are very impactful when we're trying to plant that seed with our donors to, to think about the, the church when it comes to plan gifts and when it comes to annual appeals. Excellent. So I'm going to talk about your favorite subject right now, Fred, which is Catholic education. We have for our audience, we have our audience poll. And the question is, in my diocese or archdiocese, Catholic education is thriving. And if you give us a sense of if, if it is is it in the urban schools, suburban schools, elementary schools, or secondary schools? Fred, you're a resident expert on, on Catholic education and Catholic school advancement. I know you work with all the schools in your in your diocese in Cleveland. Tell us a little bit about your work there and, and what you're seeing with the schools. Right. Yeah, sure. So here in the Diocese of Cleveland, we have 107 Catholic schools. Uh, that includes elementary and high schools. We have 38,000 students, so we've been able to hold the line through the pandemic, actually saw an increase in enrollment uh, through the pandemic. One of the things that, um, you know, that's really a benefit for our the family, the school families in our diocese, is that we here in Ohio have had state-sponsored scholarships for private education since 1996. So back then, families could get a $2,700 uh, scholarship. Uh, currently, that amount is up to 5,500 for elementary school students and 7,500 for high schools. So that is, is a great help to uh, 14,000 of our kids that uh, that receive those uh, scholarship dollars from the state. Uh, many schools really see the importance of this and make that a, an important piece to solving their financial puzzle. We here at the Catholic Community Foundation, our mission is to is to foster faith-based stewardship. Uh, here in our community and and elsewhere. So in my role as the director of development, I provide and we provide resources and guidance for our schools uh, to help them with their operational vitality. Um, So we really support them in in a variety of ways. Um, We've got a a well-established annual day of giving called We Give Catholic that's going into its eighth year. Last year in 2021, we do that on uh, Giving Tuesday. Last year, we raised over $3 million, had 11,000 donors. So you talk about how to uncover new donors. We have you know, folks who give repeatedly and new folks that give on that day of giving. 
So those are our donors that, that could and should all be stewarded. So these uh, funds support many important needs for 200 of our Catholic organization. Uh, 83 of those are schools. So that's um, you know something that's that, that's that we're really proud of. Um, we also have a biannual Alleluia Ball, it's called, which raised a million six for tuition assistance this year. So that's um, you know that that's another way that we're helping to make Catholic education more affordable for our families. Um, that um, contributes to an overall total of 3.7 million that the diocese offers to, uh, to about 4,000 families that receive tuition assistance. So, so we're really in it to win it, so to speak. We've also got uh, an Adopt-A-Student program called Fund-A-Dream, which I think is really uh, something to, to consider uh, for others that may not have uh, that type of a program. It's a way to connect your donors with an individual student and uh, communicate with them through the years so they can see how the student is doing and, uh, and progressing through the year. So it gives it really that personal touch. One of the last things I'll mention uh, with regards to um, Catholic education here in our diocese and across Ohio is uh, we've jumped into the scholarship tax credit game. Um, I think we're the 18th state to offer this type of a program, um, which is uh, we think is going to be a real boon for our families to be able to uh, offer more scholarship dollars. It's a way for, for any taxpayer here in Ohio to be able to direct the, the money that they owe the, the state to scholarships. So we've set that up this year and are, we're helping our parishes and our schools to promote that. So lots of really good stuff happening here in our diocese. And I, I know there's a lot of great stuff that happens around the country. Um, we have a group called CEDAR. That's the, uh, this is my shameless plug for a for a group that, that's recently been formed. Uh, it stands for Catholic Education Development and Resources. We meet every other month and talk about what's happening with Catholic education in our respective dioceses. So anybody who's uh, listening today or listening to the recording, I mean, if you'd like to, to be part of that, we'd love to have you. That's, a, that's the short list, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite a great list, uh, Fred. And I will make sure that we put everybody's contact uh, info in the show notes when we post this next week on our podcast so they can reach out to you. And, and I could even put a link to that group if you'd like, Fred. But that's awesome. You know, in Pennsylvania, we've benefited from the Educational Improvement Tax Credit Program for many years. I oversaw it when I was in the Diocese of Allentown. And for anyone who's struggling in an urban school setting, we've, you know, and we're, it's really difficult unless you have a, a strong alumni association sometimes to find outside funds to help fund scholarships. It's huge. Our, our donors always said it was a no-brainer. Why would I write my, my check to Harrisburg when I can direct it to a family that really needs a better education? And usually, uh, it really benefited those who were in failing school districts, which we had a lot in the state of Pennsylvania. And the difference, as we all know, uh, between a Catholic education and a, sometimes an education at their local school can make a huge difference in how that young person's life materializes and, and turns out. And so, yeah, the educational tax credit program here in Pennsylvania has just been tremendous, as I know it has been in, in many states. It started out with just the businesses being able to do that. But we've uh, in in the recent years we've now we can write your personal a portion of your personal state taxes or state tax liability. You have to do it in advance uh, of of when the taxes are due, a little bit ahead of the the normal April fifteenth deadline. 
Uh, but boy, uh, you know, we, just in our little, in our diocese of Allentown, which was probably a medium-sized diocese, we were raising anywhere between three to $4 million a year. Philadelphia, where I also worked, we were raising upwards to over 20 million, 25 million a year in, in tax credits as a system uh, of Catholic schools. So pretty tremendous. Uh, how about uh, how about things in the Archdiocese of Denver? Tell us about schools there. Well, we are we were also blessed to have an increase in enrollment during the pandemic, and so you know we're we're but overall there has been a slight decrease in enrollment over past years. We are very excited in what we are doing right now for families in need. Uh, we have a separate organization that provides tuition based scholarships, nice. um, and that. What the organization has found is that there's um, not a shortage of families in need of Christ-based Catholic education. And um, just this start of this calendar year, um, our income eligibility has been increased um, to um, really combat a lot of the inflation and the very high cost of living here in Colorado for so many of our families. And, um, you know, we're in the process right now of getting those uh, applications in for next school year. But uh, let me refer my notes. I believe we're already up 200 applications over last year um, because of the increased eligibility. So we're excited about that and, you know, reaching out to schools that for whatever reason hadn't participated in this. Um, but We've already had 660 applications renewed for next year. So we're really excited to be able to continue to outreach to those who really need that. With that, you know, there's the increased revenue that's needed for getting those kids into school. So uh, we're really working on on how to interact and um, work with the donors who love to support Catholic education, not just at the school level, but families that want that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're also beginning a, a, a formal program Archdiocesan wide to support uh, the mental health of students and, and their families and um, staff and faculty. And so that is really trying to serve the whole person and the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that uh, beginning in a formal way, there will be fundraising attached to that as well. Excellent. And how are the Catholic schools in, in Hartford, Bill? We have a Catholic uh, school foundation that's separate from from the uh, Hartford Bishops Foundation. I think it's been around for about 20 years and, mm-hmm. and does not compete with the uh, Hartford Bishops Foundation at all, but mm-hmm. grants uh, tuition, scholarships. And I believe we have approximately 40,000 students in our okay. Catholic schools in, in Hartford. So it is thriving, mm-hmm. you know, under some difficult circumstances. Sure, sure. Well, our last topic for today is one that's all near and dear to our hearts, which is working with our clergy and, and religious in, in the work of fundraising. How do clergy participate in your fundraising or if they do? So, and we've given you some some ways in which they do. Do they sign letters? Do they participate in, in giving you quotes for bulletin or pulpit announcements, or maybe you feature them in these announcements? Do they help you with any direct solicitation, meaning they might sit in a meeting with you or be a part of direct solicitation of some of your donors, or or maybe there are other ways? Wow, it looks great. It looks like our audience has obviously, as we all do, a lot of work and a great experience in working with our clergy on fundraising. So let's uh, let's help our participants a little bit by sharing some of our experience on how we have worked with clergy successfully. Who would like to go first? Briefly, the, the program that I mentioned earlier, helping with offertory, that really wouldn't, I mean, you know, I worked hard and I got along well with folks, but it really wouldn't have had a whole lot of meat behind it without a much loved Monsignor Bernie Schmitz um, partnering <laughs> with us. 
-hmm. And that was gold. That was gold. He participated. We did uh, 440 in-person and Zoom meetings during this time with the 38 parishes. He was on or at all of them. Now, that was terrific. And every diocese, every archdiocese has priests or retired priests like that. And he happened to be much loved and wanting to do it. So that was an absolute for us to try to take it all on as many of us are lay people. It's a tall order when you're partnering with somebody like that, who is much loved. It's a home run. Yeah, absolutely. Here in our diocese, we uh, just wrapped up a, a capital campaign to support the, the seminary. So we had our priests and seminarians highly involved in that. We had a couple of pastors who were on an advisory board that helped to determine the path for the campaign. And we had a couple of other priests who uh, had a prominent role in developing our marketing materials, if you can imagine that. We also had seminarians who went to each uh, parish meeting. So that every parish campaign, there was a seminarian that was involved. Also, I, I mentioned the, the priest that was, uh, that was highlighted in our plan giving uh, newsletter. We also had a priest who came on. We have a new TV studio here at the diocese, and we had a our first program last week, and we had one of our pastors who, who was a big promote, proponent of parish legacy giving. So he came on and shared his experience and promoted it. So, you know, I think that's something that was very impactful. Um, we've had testimonials in our, in our magazines. We have a, a pastor's advisory committee. So there's a lot of different ways that priests get involved. And I had one real quick story about a, a priest that, for, that created a funny video for our, his uh, We Give Catholic page where he was showing he was uh, shown holding an umbrella uh, so he could raise money for, uh, for a new roof for the church. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, one thing to, uh, that came to just came to mind is relevant radio. So, in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee and the Archdiocese and the Diocese of Green Bay, and it was born in the Diocese of Green Bay. Relevant radio is a really terrific way to reach our audience, and I know of a number of priests um, in those two dioceses who host programs. It's it really is listened to mm-hmm. um, by our by our our, our flock. Sure. And a, a great resource. Some of our pastors who I knew were very good at talking about the Bishop's Annual Appeal. I actually asked them to write, you know, could you write out a homily for me? And I would usually get one or two guys every year to help me write out what would be your pitch for this year's Bishop's Annual Appeal. And I began to develop a library of those. And so I found that that was really helpful to the other priests who were kind of struggling with what words to put together. In fundraising, I think everybody on this call, probably everybody, all of our participants are all great writers. But there's something about kind of that priest to priest piece of how do I put it in my own words in that pastoral language. And so over the course of a few years, we developed a nice resource of homily helps for our appeal, our diocesan appeal that were written by the priests in our diocese. Guys that I knew did a particularly great job in their parish and um, people I had developed relationships with. I feel like I might have cut you off, Kelly. Please go ahead. No, that's fine. I was going to say we're not unique here in the Archdiocese of Denver and, you know, working with clergy, some of the ways, you know, you specifically mentioned, Fred. But I think the key is, you know, knowing which clergy are, are comfortable and would be good spokespeople for us in, in going along with those donor meetings or in front of in front of their congregations. You know, so before our big appeals, we always call um, before seminarians go out to parishes. We call the pastor, making sure they know they're coming and, you know, just a lot of um, making sure everyone's comfortable. We're all working together on 
on the same page. And as you know, they all have so many, so many responsibilities and their time is so precious. But, you know, those that that do we do partner with here to raise money, especially for the seminaries, it's it's being respectful of their time and their talents. But, you know, when they're with the donors, when we get them in front, you know, it's just that natural connection of, of, of being with clergy or being with our, our future priests. And, and when we can make those opportunities for that personal connection, that's really where, you know, that, that next level of connectedness to the donor and their, what they want happens. And really it can be as simple as a prayer intention that we find, you know, just asking um, what our donors need and then sharing that with a particular priest. And then, you know, you know, reporting back, you know, father set a mass for your family's intention or, um, you know, being able to arrange actually a private mass for donors led by a priest and, you know, just small things that, that, that may not take too much of our time to do or arranging, you know, lunch with a group of seminarians, all wonderful ways to partner with clergy and make sure that they realize there's, we're supporting their work as well. Absolutely. I think in everything I'm hearing you say, it, it's all about playing to our strengths. And, and that's what I always tried to do whenever we, if I went with a priest or a pastor on a solicitation, sometimes we would just ask him to talk about the mission and the ministry because that's where he's comfortable. That's where his strengths are. And I might be the one to make the ask, but the fact that we're both there together and father's present and we're talking about the mission, that's what they do so well. So I think part of it is really taking the temperature of the individual, you know, man or woman that you're working with and just finding out what they're comfortable with. And then just trying to play to those strengths. Some of our pastors and some of our sisters who I work with over the years, they are amazing fundraisers, but not everybody feels that comfort level with it. And sometimes that just takes practice, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned sisters. Uh, They are an important part of this as well. Yeah. Um, There's so many examples of sisters who really are good at what we do Mm -hmm. um, and are happy to assist. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks for mentioning the sisters, Jim. Yeah, I worked with uh, one sister at a couple of sisters, actually, at, at Chestnut Hill College, who I worked with for a couple of years on an endowment campaign during COVID. And uh, they were just tremendous, fearless women <laughs> were not afraid to make the ask. And they had built such tremendous relationships over a period of time with the alumni. And they were just so well known that it was just they were just a powerful presence whenever the, the donors would always pick up the phone whenever sister would call and you know, it wasn't about the old school Catholic that they were afraid of sister it was about, they were excited to hear from sister and because sister, they just embody that mission in a way that we as lay people, we just don't, we're just not going to have that piece. So they, I think that's why we are always anxious to bring that part of the mission with us. Well, I think we're just about at our time exactly here at, so at the one hour mark. So I just want to thank everyone for being a part of this conversation. I'm going to give all of our panelists just a second, just a moment here, just to sign off. And maybe if you have any closing thoughts or comments or want to share where people can reach you, but it's just been my pleasure. And thank you audience for your participation, for being a part of this dialogue. Next week, we will drop this on the Advancing Our Church podcast. You can find us at advancingourchurch.com where we have over a hundred episodes listed and you'll find this one on, on our homepage. And you can also find us on Apple iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and, and on uh, YouTube. So I encourage you to find us there. If you haven't seen the podcast, there's a lot of these kinds of great conversations that you'll find on our show. Why don't we start with Fred? Fred, any closing thoughts for today's conversation? Uh, well, sure. Thanks, Jim. And uh, thanks for having me. It's always nice to uh, connect with my colleagues and uh, former colleagues and new colleagues. And so, uh, you know, just thanks for the opportunity to be here. 
Yeah, if you share my information, contact information, that would be great. You know, look forward to future conversations. Excellent. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for being on the show. Bill? Well, it's great to be here today and uh, enjoyed it uh, tremendously. My, my parting thought or parting advice would be, you know, just like we did in 2008, 2009, you know, during a difficult time, we may be facing another difficult time or having just come through it. We're in an unsettled period with the markets. I would counsel that nonprofit organizations, not just faith-based ones, should just continue to focus on what works in fundraising. Focus on the basics, maintain and build strong relationships, and continue asking. So Excellent. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you. And Kelly? Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure sharing with all of you. And it just it's, it's also a pleasure to know that we're all sticking with what, like you said, Bill, the basics, sticking with what our donors need from us and building and maintaining those relationships for, um, you know, the greater glory of God and, and our church. And just remembering that they, they too want to help be a part of that investment. So yeah, keep asking and keep growing close, closer to our donors and, and our church. Excellent. David? Uh, thank you, Mary. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Changing Our World, for including the Archdiocese of Denver in this. We are honored. When in doubt, take it to the streets. <laughs> Go to the people. There's no reason for us to wonder. Go find out. And uh, don't depend on one avenue of communication. Use all 19 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. There's a lot, a lot of different channels out there. Absolutely. A lot of different methods. Great point, David. And last but not least, Mary. Just to say thanks and echo, you know, the gratitude that I have for being here. And just, I think we should all remember, you know, faith still receives more funding in charitable dollars than any other sector. And so we should have the courage, as everyone has said, to just go out and ask. I want to thank David, Bill, Kelly, Fred, and Mary for being on our show this week and for sharing your insights and your experiences on philanthropy with our listeners. Thank you for your dedication to the Catholic mission. I will leave links to each of these guests on the show notes of this episode and for a complete listing of all of our conversations regarding Catholic philanthropy and so much more. Please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Oh, and by the way, if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you'll stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And please, if you have an idea for a guest or a topic for one of our shows, please reach out to me at jim at advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. It just takes three minutes and it makes a huge impact on people being able to find this show. And for more information about our show and where to find us again, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. And for more information, you can find us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you have a terrific week. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Take care and God bless.